0: So there's a pretty famous saying that goes history is written by the victors and i think you could take it a step further and say that the victors always remove their sins from the story and this makes sense because why would i want the history books to detail the horrible atrocities that i commit against other human beings you because know, like, i mean that that won't go over well when it comes to uh, to legacy and of course legacy is pretty important now take for example the completely arbitrary American holiday of Thanksgiving. Right? We all know the story. The pilgrims came over on the Mayflower, they land on Plymouth Rock, they established the first colony in present day Massachusetts, and of course they weren't the first people over there since there were already colonies in Virginia, as well as, you know, the Native Americans. And the Native Americans have been there for quite some time now. You know, it's kind of what Native American means, like by literal definition. Now, the story, as it's commonly told, is that the pilgrims were unprepared for the ensuing winter as they did not know how to farm and cultivate the land. And so the local Native Americans, they see that and they go and teach them how to grow food and how to till the American soil. At the end of it, all both the pilgrims and the Native Americans sat down and had a huge feast with all the things that they were taught how to grow and everyone lived happily ever after. And that's why we call it Thanksgiving, right? It was the pilgrims giving and showing thanks to the Native American tribes who helped them out. And now it's still supposed to be like a time of reflection, you know, to give thanks for things that we have. Although it is immediately followed by us mauling each other to try and get the things that we don't have. But this is the history as it was written. But this is far from the history as it actually happened. So, in hindsight, we could say that we should have known that things never actually played out that way, since, you know, life isn't a children's story with a happy ending, and in reality, it's more of like like an unrated movie, right? Like this one, it's a story of broken promises and betrayal and lies and deceit, you know, a true tale of pride and disregard for others. But before we get into all of that, let's start from the top. Okay, so quick pause so I can explain how things are going to work here, because I never actually do that in this episode. Uh, So this episode is going to be all about the pilgrims, right? And it's told through uh, the perspective of the pilgrims, essentially just kind of how it was taught in school, although with a bit more, I guess, truth to the matter, you could say. But, you know, it's a story that involves two groups of people, right? And a story that involves two groups, but only includes the perspective of one group you know, it's, it's not really a fair story at all. So tomorrow we're gonna be kind of going over the exact same story, but from the perspective of the Wampanoag tribe, right? That was the Native American. That was a Native American tribe that was there when they pulled up, and so you know that's the other group that's involved in the story. All right. Okay. Now we have that established. Let's continue. So who were the Pilgrims? Right In one kind of just broad stroke, the pilgrims were essentially a group of separatists that formed around 1605 when they separated from the Church of England, hence the term, you know, separatist. Now, this was a pretty big deal at the time because in this area, there was no such thing as freedom of religion, right? At least in England. See, the church was run by the monarch and everyone was essentially the exact same religion, not by choice, but by mandate, right? And with the monarch being the, you know, de facto head of the church, it wasn't uncommon for church rules to, you know, change often, usually when the monarch does something that is considered, you know, a sin or illegal, at least in terms of the church. So they just kind of change the rules. So that way, what they just did that was previously a sin is now no longer a sin. Great for them. Now, of course, you could see how, you know, people might not be a huge fan of that. And if we go back about 50 years, we can really see how the pilgrims and the separatist movement as a whole kind of was going to be inevitable, right? So in 1559, the Act of Uniformity was passed, and that made it illegal to not attend church. And if you skipped out on a Sunday service, you would be fined around 5 or 0.05 pounds. Not to have a shot, you'd break that one down. But in today's money, it's around 20 pounds, right? And of course, that might not sound like a lot, but sticking with today's currency, that would be 20 pounds every Sunday if you didn't go to church when you only make 800 pounds a year, right? So if you don't go to church for an entire year, you would be fined more money than you would make that year. So yeah, for them, kind of a big deal. But that wasn't it. See, the fine was only the beginning, because there were other penalties involved with missing church, a big one being imprisonment, which meant you couldn't work. Thus, you couldn't make money. So then there was less money to be spared to pay these fines. So all of this, combined with the social aspect of it and getting ridiculed and outcasted by the members of the church, which was literally the entire country, you can see how people who want to be a little more looser with their religion or don't like the interpretation of the religion can kind of be stuck in a hard place. And so, of course, there were people who weren't fans of this, right? And that group became the Separatists. And as you would expect, that really didn't go over well in England, especially not with the Monarch. Right? So the Separatists tried to form their own underground church, but that was then legalized by the Seditious Secretaries Act of 1593. And that led to multiple leaders being imprisoned, being tortured on several occasions. So, with the Separatists fearing religious persecution, they migrated off to Holland, planting themselves in the town of Leiden. Now, this move is when they started being called Pilgrims, because now, in a sense, they've done a pilgrimage to a new land. And they're still considered Separatists because they separated from the church, but Pilgrim, kind of their name. And things in the new land weren't that bad. For the most part, Everyone was getting along generally okay. See, Leiden was an industrializing city, so it allowed the newcomers to find jobs in factories and textile mills and printing, as well as like teaching at the local university. Although not everyone had those kinds of skills. So, people who were historically farmers or had no, you know, industrial skills, they kind of struggled to make it in their new home. And so, those people began to run out of money and they began to struggle even more. And so, they began to think. Perhaps things weren't that bad in England, you know, because at least there I could make money with the skills that I had. So in droves, they kind of begin to move back to the very place they ran away from. And kind of it's an interesting thing. It's funny how a bit of hardship can really make you reconsider your religion. But in light of this happening the leaders of the church began to fear that more and more people would follow and go back to England. And they knew that they needed to do something drastic to keep people around. See, by this time, it was 1617. And the pilgrims had been in Holland for about a decade or so. And the congregation was getting smaller and smaller. And people weren't coming from England to there. As the whole employment thing was kind of a pretty big issue. So they needed a change. They needed like a new, new start. A place that they could call their own and set their own rules, and everyone would just be happy. It was time to go to the Americas. Now, they had a few location options. The Dutch had just recently developed a colony off the coast of South America. And of course, they could always try and build near the Virginia colonies that were already there. But, you know, they couldn't be too close because that would interfere with what those colonies already had going on. And also, you don't want to create two duplicate colonies right next to each other. But there were plenty of things that gave them cold feet to come over there, right? Biggest things that they feared the Native Americans. They feared that they would be a violent people. You know, they also heard that it was kind of impossible to grow food and there was probably not going to be any source of water, right? They feared the possibility of getting exposed to unknown diseases and all these other big things. And quick side note once again, you know, just keep tabs of all the things the pilgrims feared because it creates you know some really sad irony later on. Either way, they eventually grew a pair of bowls and went to get the land from the London Company, and they offered them a nice chunk of land near the mouth of the Hudson River. Now, this was gonna be perfect. Right. They would have their own place, make their own rules, not be under the rules of the absolutely insane monarchs of England at the time. And the location of the land was still pretty close to the Virginia colonies. And see, the Virginia colonies, they were settled. They already had established a small little militia. And so that would help with protecting while they were settling down. Because, of course, you need protection from the absolute savage monsters that are the Native Americans. But there was a problem. And that was the Dutch East India Company. Okay. So before we continue, we're going to, have to talk about how companies like the London Company and the Dutch East India Company work, right? And it's actually quite easy to understand if you have like a general basic knowledge of how the stock market works, because these companies were like the first iteration of what we know today as the stock exchange and investing. Think of starting a colony like starting a company. It's very expensive, and if you're starting a company, then you probably don't already have a bunch of money just laying around, right? You need investors, right? Someone who will give you money upfront in order for you to start your business, and in return, they will own a percentage of your company, and thus will make money as the company grows and makes money, right? The literal definition of investment. So millions of people attempt to start companies but very few actually succeeded it. So you had to approach the investors and try to convince them why your idea is actually going to work, as compared to, you know, the hundreds of other ideas they probably already heard that day alone. So you better make it good. And that's pretty much how these companies worked. If you wanted to start a colony in America, you would approach the company and essentially pitch your idea. And if they were down with it, they would give you the land and a certain amount of money to fund the journey. Now, that funding came from the elites of society, right? They would invest into trips they thought would be a success. And if enough people invested into the trip, then you were good to go. But one big thing to note that applies to the story of the pilgrims, as well as just investing in general. While, yes, the investors own a percentage of the company, as long as you own 50.1% of the company, then the company is yours right? and you get the final say of what happens. But if at any point, another entity owns that 50.1% or more, then they own the company and decisions are now made by them. So in terms of these journeys, it pretty much works the exact same way, except the people actually doing the establishing of the colony don't own any part of the excursion, right? So all the decisions, like where the colony will be located and what it'll be called, that's decided by the investors. Of course, you know, there is room for negotiation, but if you really want to get this thing approved, you can't negotiate that much because if you do, you might insult the investors and they're going to pull out. Now, last thing to note these companies that were giving out this land didn't technically actually own any of the land, right? Not only did the Native Americans really already live there, but even within the different companies, Many times they would just sell two groups of people the same plot of land, right? And then it's just whoever gets there first and gets established first, right? So what would happen if two groups got there at the same time? Well, pretty simple. The strongest survive. Okay, back to the Pilgrims. the Dutch company was also trying to sell the same plot of land to them, and that kind of caused the talks with the London company to stall out. So now working with the Dutch company, the pilgrims attempted to negotiate the voyage, but those also didn't work out. Perhaps, you know, they were simply just bad negotiators, or perhaps the Dutch realized that it could probably be better to send Dutch people over there to establish a Dutch company, which is actually what happened seven years later. You know, then the Dutch colony of the New Netherlands was established which today is what we call Delaware, New Jersey, parts of New York, and parts of Pennsylvania. pretty big plot of land. So this left the Pilgrims in a pretty rough spot, right? Since the London Company was out, and now the Dutch Company was out, they really didn't have anyone to go to, right? And that was until they met Thomas Weston. See, Weston was an English merchant, right? And he told them that he could take care of the problem with the London Company and help them get to the New World which undoubtedly got the Pilgrims excited, but then he hit them with, but wait, there's more. He told them that some new investors in England had just secured a plot of land just north of the Virginia colonies, and this land was going to be called New England. Very creative. And this was pretty great for the Pilgrims, but it also wasn't exactly true, right? See, at the time, they didn't actually have the land. I guess you could say they were in the process of getting it. Although, when it comes to things like this, nothing's ever set in stone. But, thankfully for the Pilgrims and their voyage, a year later, in 1620, the soon-to-be colonists were granted the charter to head over to the Americas. Now, there was also some change to the agreement that the Pilgrims didn't know about. See, since their first attempt at getting the voyage approved... There had been some new investors added and they wanted some things changed in order to make sure they were going to make some money back so first change this charter or contract was essentially a seven year agreement right and that was already established but what was changed was after those seven years half of all the land that was settled and half of all the properties would then be forfeited over to the investors and that's actually kind of important because that land ended up going to the Puritans. And it's more on them tomorrow so the second change this one was in regards to essentially what we call the weekend right in the original agreement the pilgrims requested and got approved to have two days every week where they could work on personal stuff and handle personal business now this was removed from the agreement and both of these changes happened at the pilgrim's knowledge at all but i really don't think they were concerned about that at the time All they really cared about was the fact that they were finally going to be able to go to a new place, establish a new home, you know, and finally become their own people. And that's exactly what they did. So, after 65 terrible days crossing the Atlantic, which resulted in one crew member dying and one passenger dying, also, fun random fact, one child was born during that trip, and his name was Oceanus, because he was born in the ocean. But with the two deaths... It's actually a pretty solid trip. Most times, a good sizable amount of the people going over don't actually survive the entire journey. So, on November 9th, 1620, they spotted land. This was their new home. Well, you know, kind of their new home. They still had to actually do a little bit of traveling before they got to where they were going to settle. And how they did that was they journeyed westward, through the Bay Area, and onto the mainland by December. And the day they set foot onto their new home is now known as Forefather's Day, which of course is pretty much only observed in Massachusetts because it's only representative of them. Now, once on dry land, they really didn't have to venture any further to find a good spot to settle, as pretty much where they landed was already perfect, especially for the season. See. It's December, so it's smack in the middle of winter, and as you can imagine, it was terribly cold. And that is not great if you have to be outside for hours on end, cutting down trees, clearing space, trying to settle a colony. Conveniently, though, this area was already cleared out, and it looked like people used to live here, but maybe abandoned the area? Wonder who that could have been? I don't know. But... Doesn't matter anyways, because winter is here, and people need shelter, because this winter is taking no prisoners. So once established, every family was given their own plot of land and given some materials, and then they had to build their own housing. So they worked tirelessly through the winter, and by early February, they were done. By this time, 31 of the new settlers were already dead, and over half of the crew of the Mayflower had passed as well. So as it seemed, this colony was going to be a failure, but then they were approached by the Wampanoag tribe. So from here, at least from the perspective of the Pilgrims, the story goes essentially how we all know, right? The Wampanoags assisted the Europeans with farming, although Not exactly for the reason why we're told, but we'll get into that when we're talking about the Native American perspective. But then when it was all said and done, they sat down for a feast as what we know as Thanksgiving. Although in reality, Thanksgiving wasn't actually the feast, right? See, Thanksgiving was days of fasting and deep consideration and contemplation about everything that had just transpired, right? And giving thanks to God for getting them through it. So, what we call Thanksgiving, the huge party and big buffet, that is what they did after Thanksgiving, right? That was how they broke their fast, did it with a large meal, and essentially threw a huge party, right? Complete with 17th century fireworks, AKA just shooting guns in the air, which is honestly somehow the most American thing ever, Even though these people were technically not American yet. But from there, the rest is, you know, somewhat just history, right? More people came over, the thirteen colonies became a thing, the Revolutionary War happened, granting those colonies independence from the English monarchy, and then westward expansion happened. And of course the Native Americans just happily and willingly gave up their land so that way these new colonizers could, you know. Have somewhere to live and then they chose to confine themselves in these little small pockets of land just called reservations you know, reserved just for them because that's great right and then you know some other stuff happens a guy ends up on the moon a billionaire celebrity becomes president and the social problems that plagued the country when it was first created are still hanging around 400 years later oh don't you just love a happy ending Usually, right, I would just, like, get a little outro gap right there. Little, usually there's a little, either song or something or a clip in that, or at the outro. Usually it's like, I don't know, five seconds long, nothing longer than that. But you cannot, you absolutely cannot cut off Louis Armstrong, our trumpet solo. You can't, it's disrespectful. It that, that, that solo is just so good. <laughs> I love that song, but... If you enjoyed today's episode, you know the podcast, give it a like, give it a follow, give it a rating, all that good jazz to let me know that you like it. Of course, if you do like it, share it with your friends, because good friends give friends good things, and you want to be a good friend, so give your friend a good thing. If you want to follow me on social media, it is at God had on the IGs, and as always, 8 a.m. Eastern, same time, same place, every single day. I hope you have an absolutely amazing day today. Don't forget, tomorrow, we have the second deep dive this weekend coming. Uh, The other perspective on the matter is a good one. Trust me, it's a good one. (laughs) You're not going to want to miss it, so make sure you tune in for that. As always, don't forget, stay hella hydrated, drink plenty of water, and I will see you tomorrow.